Quite the Thing Media, we aim to bring you the best podcasts produced by independent creators, made without constraints. Hi everybody and welcome to quite the interview from Quite the Thing Media where we speak to independent creators, industry leaders, creative thinkers and plenty of others in between letting them tell their story basically without constraints. We ask independent creators eight or ten simple questions basically and joining me today to answer these questions is Eric. Eric Woods, how are you? I'm wonderful, thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, I'm looking looking forward to this This podcast series was or started to run alongside the podcast awards that quite a thing media are running so we're speaking to lots of different people you've been on a journey in inverted commas that well it goes all the way back to 1996 basically eric so what is your podcast what you have to speak about today and sort of i've already answered one of them how long have you been going but what is it how did it come about basically your podcast yeah, the show began uh, actually on college radio. It was my second year um, at Mohawk College in, in Hamilton, Ontario, and I always wanted to do radio. I was already in the broadcast journalism program, so uh, I thought, you know, my second year, I'm going to go talk to the station manager, who I happen to know. He was one of the the professors as well. Um, so I went to him and I said, you know, I've I've got about 75 soundtrack CDs at the time. <laughs> And I said, do you want to do, can I, or can I do a soundtrack show on, on, on your, uh, on the college radio program or a station? And initially he said, no, because he said he already had a, um, a, a musicals program. So he didn't understand that what I was going to be doing was different. I was going to play the film scores or the television scores, video game scores. And once I explained that to him, then he got it. And he's like, wow, this is something different. This is something new. So I got a spot immediately in September of 1996, two hours at the time. And uh, from there, I did 10 years of terrestrial radio at Mohawk College. In and around 2003, I started doing um, online streaming of the programs on real audio. And uh, so that way, you didn't have to tune in live to hear the show. Anybody around the world could just tune in and say, hey, I want to listen to this particular program. And so once I quit, uh, the the radio station. And that was just because my son was born. And I wanted to spend more time with him. My show was on weekends. I just didn't have my weekends anymore. I still wanted to keep doing the show. And so I kept on streaming the program. I didn't have it on a pl- podcast platform until about 2016. And the reason was, was because of music licensing. That's a big problem with uh, podcasting. Podcasting is, I would say, is like talk radio most of the time. And what I produce is a traditional radio program, um, more so than a traditional show. I mean, I'm not just a DJ saying, you know, here's the album, here's the track. I go into a lot of detail. I let the audience know, you know, what I'm playing, why I'm playing. Uh, everything is put into context. And then I, as an example, play a suite of music from the soundtrack to say, hey, here's what I was talking about. Now here it is. It's separated from the film. And the whole point of the program was to introduce people to the art form of film music, television music, media music, and that it could stand on its own as pure music. And so my whole goal was to yeah, introduce new people to the, to the genre, but also offer 
information about something that they might not necessarily uh, know about or or something that doesn't get talked about a lot, which is which is movie music, which is um, often forgotten when people talk about film. Okay. I suppose people have read the title um, of the podcast before they've listened to it. Your podcast, it's not specifically a podcast. Is it a podcast channel? You would, what would you call your, right. what yeah. you do? So, cinematic sound radio. By yeah, way. it evolved. I, I was, it was cinematic sound. It became cinematic sound radio once I was um, off the, off the air uh, because I still wasn't podcasting, but then I started asking if anybody wanted to, you know, host an hour of programming just to give people a chance. Like, you know, Hey, you want to have something to say? Here's an hour. I'll, I'll give you an hour. I'll host it. And you can play whatever you want. And that happened. And I had guest hosts, but nobody stuck. And then that was fine. And I was doing it all on my own. I was doing, you know, weekly shows and it was a lot of work, but then all of a sudden, uh, well, Tim Burden, who is basically the voice of the program, he does all the intros for us. Um, he started doing shows for us, um, or for me, and he would do kind of thematic programs here and there, or he might have access to a composer, so he'd do an interview. Jason Drury contacted me, and he said he was working on this three-part radio documentary on composer James Horner, and it was in around the time when he passed away back in 2015. Now, he had already produced a, a first part, but he had a falling out with the radio station that he was at. So he said he needed a home for the show. And I said, absolutely. I will definitely host this for you. And he had already interviewed me for the program. And he interviewed other fans, uh, record producers, directors, other composers for this show. And it turned, about, turned out to be just an incredible uh, radio documentary, uh, something that I'm, I'm really proud to have on the network. And then after that, more and more people started started joining and started asking if they could, I guess, use the cinematic sound radio name um, to help with their program. And I'm more than happy to do that. So we got a video game show. We got a, a anime show. I reached out to um, someone who I'd been listening to for a while. Her name is Lee Bricknell. She had been doing a film music show on another channel that channel folded. So I said, Hey, you can bring your show over to me and, and I'd be happy to host it because I don't want it to go away. So she brought filmic over, which is just a, an eclectic film music program that just has just about anything and everything you can think of on it. And so, and the last guy that came was Randy Andrews. He brought two shows. Well, one was the anime show, but he brought his soundtrack alley program, which is a show where we discuss one film, one score. It's, it's really great. We've just expanded and we're exploring more aspects of this genre of music than I, than I thought possible. And mm. they really take a lot of the workload off of me. I mean, I still have a lot of work to do You know, when they send me shows, creating pages, getting the website um, updated, updating the RSS. I don't have to do as much original programming myself that I had to do in the past where I was doing it weekly. Now I'm, I'm on a monthly schedule myself, which is fine, but there's always programming and there's always different types of programming, which I think is, uh, is great for me. I never thought this would ever happen. I never thought I'd be like a boss of a, of a network, but I'm really happy to, to have this on my podcast. Well, I think we'll need to have a conversation offline because it's almost what I'm trying to start at the moment as some sort of new podcast network. So we'll we'll put a pin in that and I'll maybe have a little chat 
after we Absolutely. stopped recording, Eric, because it sounds very much like what we are trying to do at Quite The Thing Media. Now, thinking back to all those years ago, what was the first podcast that sort of hooked you? What was the first podcast that you ever listened to, if you can remember? Yeah, we we being when I was working at a, a company called D3, and they just so happened to have beer.com, the, the, the website, which is just worth millions and millions of dollars. So they bought it and they didn't know really what to do with it. So they basically turned it into not, not a site about beer, but it became a, a, an online digital magazine for men like Maxim. And so we kind of, at that time, that's how he was introduced to podcasts. And so we were exploring podcasts and what was happening and how this works. And uh, one of the first podcasts that I ever noticed was one of the most popular ones around the time. And it was called Ask a Ninja. And it's just a comedy podcast, but it was one of the most popular podcasts in the world. And it's just, it was actually one of the first video podcasts on the platform. And so that's where we were kind of like trying to figure out what our competition was. But what we were doing with beer.com and the beer.com podcast was completely different than that because our model was more on doing kind of a Howard Stern type show, but do it in the podcast world. And so we took that model and we turned it into the beer.com podcast, but we just kept on listening to, various other shows but it, it nothing really stuck like ask a ninja because it was actually very 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 funny and so we incorporated more comedy than into our beer.com podcast and then that show exploded and we were incredibly popular um, especially in sweden and i think in new zealand as well we were number one uh <laughs> the number one like overall overall in right? sweden and New Zealand. And yeah, I mean, if you ever listen to Howard Stern, that's essentially what we were doing, but it was just a bunch of Canadians acting like a bunch of idiots talking about (laughs) stuff that dudes like to talk about at the time. (laughs) It was so strange, but we were having a lot of fun doing it. And I have no idea why people in Sweden and New Zealand attached themselves to our show, but we got lots of feedback. They loved everything about it. And maybe because it was something that wasn't being explored in the podcast world at that time. And it's too bad that it ended because I lost my job at beer.com. I was laid off um, at no fault of my own, but I wish I had continued with it, but that was a lot of work too. Cause I was producing it. I was hosting it. I was editing it and getting guests and, but it was uh, that was a lot of fun, but yeah, ask a ninja helped inspire that show because of the comedy aspect. And before it was very dry, but once we started a- adding bits that's when it really took off. Yeah, it does seem to be quite common that as a, a comedy podcast that gets people into podcasts. Basically, I was Ricky Gervais many years ago. I don't know how how yes. big he is in America. I know he has hosted. Yes, he was. He was one of the Globes. big ones. Yeah. Yep, he was one of the big ones as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but that again at, at that time it wasn't really. It was a re-release of a. Radio show, basically like an edited version of his XFM radio show that was going out. And that's kind of, I suppose, how podcasting almost started, I suppose. You mentioned beer.com and uh, we call it shock jock nature of what you were producing. 
How did that go down in other countries? Were there any countries that weren't particularly fond of what you were doing, perhaps? Yeah. Uh, Beer.com itself, the website was banned in a lot of Middle Eastern countries. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we we even got a letter from from one of them, and I can't remember where it was from, but that became one of our taglines. It was like, we are banned in such and such, Saudi Arabia or, or something yeah. like that. And of course, those, those, those sort of things bring in more listeners because when you start banning things like Super yeah. Bowl commercials or, or whatever, right? People are always intrigued as to why is it being banned? So it was like our, our call to arms and it was, it was fantastic. And I can understand why we were banned in some of those countries, but, um, but we were being embraced elsewhere and it was a filthy podcast. I mean, I, I make no bones about it. It was, there was just tons of just swearing and horrible things, probably things you couldn't get away with today. Even now, um, yeah. even now. Um, but the great thing is we did have a couple of, uh, of female co-hosts who, who were, more than happy to be on it. And, and it was sort of like, um, it was equal. They could talk about things. We could talk about things. It was definitely geared towards, you know, uh, whatever was popular in, in Maxim magazine at the time. And you can imagine, um, but they were very open to talk about anything. We were open to talk about anything. And it was just like a, it was like a dude man show. Um, but you're, if I have to listen to back to it now, it's a bit cringy. And I probably wouldn't want it out there in the world, but I still have all 36 some odd episodes that we did. They were fun. And some of it was funny, genuinely funny. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was definitely explicit for sure. Thinking back to, was that 2004 or so, mm. Eric? Yeah, 2004, 2005. Yeah, it's, it's a bit bizarre to say it. Like, that was 17 years ago now, like a long, <laughs> long time. Absolutely. So how has your podcast evolved? We've sort of covered a little bit of it, but is there anything that jumps to mind as a, a massive change in how you're, how you've produced it, how you've edited it. Is there something that jumps out at you, the evolution of your podcast? Um, It's become shorter. Uh, I was so (laughs) used to thinking, I mean, it's still long. I mean, I would say that some people might think 90 minutes is way too long, but again, the show isn't a traditional podcast per se, my show, at least. Um, Some others are very short. Uh, They're in there. They come in 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 under an hour, which I appreciate. And that's sort of the goal. We're in about an hour to 90 minutes, although there's one show that goes two hours, but it, I think I can justify that running time. But I just realized that once I got into the podcasting world, I was doing three hours and I was thinking that people still wanted to listen to my three hour radio broadcast. And at that time I was playing nine albums a show each album was getting 15 minutes of play. And I thought people would tune in no matter what. And that became a chore when I realized that, of course, there's millions of podcasts out there. Nobody has time to listen to three hours of just one show. And even though I separated into parts, it's still too much. I, I, I could see the download numbers and the engagement and it just wasn't there. So I had to shorten it. Now, when I got affiliated with W Rock Radio, which was an online uh, streaming radio station, um, I had to do two hours. That was the block I was given. So I thought, all right, I'm going to shave off an hour. And I'm now going to do 
two hours. And that felt good. I was still doing a ton of work. I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of producing. It takes days for me to produce one episode. But that definitely showed me that I could shorten this thing. It doesn't need to be that long. And that makes life easier for me as well. And I can get more out, even though I I can now get more out, more still coming in because of all the other hosts that I have, but it is keeping it in around an hour, hour and a half. And even that seems uh, too long. But I think that again, because I run a more traditional type of radio program, if the music is good and I'm engaging, I think I could justify that, that time, but I rarely go to the two hour mark like I used to, or even three hours. Yeah, I constantly say to my co-founder, Colin, I don't want our podcast to run any longer than 45, 50 minutes. But that's a very personal choice of mine. If I see a Absolutely. podcast is running 90 minutes, I might skip it because it's a really bizarre state of mind because you can just pause it and turn it back on. But for sure, it still puts me off. It really does. And well, I, I can tell, I can tell you once, I mean, as you, as you get older, I mean, you have less and less time and it's the same thing that's happening with me with my, the way I listen to music in the soundtrack world. A lot of it is about, Hey, give us every single note that you can of the score. And some scores run two hours long. You might get two and a half hours with the, the extra bits that were cut out, alternate takes and whatever. And some people want all of that. And I'm like, where do people find two and a half hours to listen to an album straight through. And now I'm getting to the point where again, in the soundtrack world back in the nineties, due to the high costs of reuse fees to have the music on an album, especially albums released in the, in LA or recorded in LA record labels could only afford to release half an hour of the score. And it was a, it was a big problem. Everybody was like, oh, we want everything, but you're only gave us a half an hour. But now those albums are perfect for me because half an hour is all I really have now to dedicate to one album or I can get into more. So, yeah, I think that I can take a lesson from those shorter albums. And, and again, the little time that I have now and put that towards my podcast and, and at least try to shorten things and get things even shorter again, just to help myself out. Cause if I only have to do a 60 minute show, then it's again, it's less time producing. It's less time writing. Um, but sometimes again, with a music show like mine, I, there's certain things I do want to play and that will pad out the time a bit longer than the normal. So uh, but I, I mean, I see the 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 engagements that I have and, and people are listening to my shows. I mean, they're in the 80, 90 percent. So even though it is a 60 to 90 minute program, I'm still getting most of my audience listening to almost the entire program. Yeah, I've said this on a couple of shows before that your podcast consumption rate is probably much more important than your actual download, raw download figures. So right. for sort of, I think any indie podcaster, if you want to call them that, somebody starting, look a little bit deeper than your raw downloads because somebody might have subscribed, it downloads automatically, but they don't listen. Like, And you're right, if you're getting about 80, I think anything over about 80% consumption rate, so people are listening to 80% of your show, you're doing well. You're doing really well if you can sort of get that. So that would be a, a start. 
that I think you need to you need to engage with rather than just the raw downloads. Any advice for anybody looking to get into podcasting, Eric? Any advice? Yeah, it's it's make sure you're doing something that you're passionate about. And you also need, I think, the time to pre-plan. And I come from the video industry and pre-production is super important because if we don't know what we're shooting, <laughs> we're lost. Um, so, and the same thing happens in radio. Uh, pre-production is so important. Um, so just make sure you know what you're going to be talking about, what you're going to say, that you're focused. But you also have to have passion about it. If you don't, then it's not going to last long. So, I mean, if just because you see uh, the, this such and such podcast is doing well and you're like, well, maybe I can talk about movies. If you're really not interested in that and you're not willing to take it for the long run, then don't do it. And that's the other thing. Stick with it. Your first bunch of shows are not going to do well. You are not going to be an instant star. That only happens to a very small percentage of podcasters and mainly that's due to because they already have an established audience or you know they it, it just so happens to hit something goes viral but stick with it and i would say that even if you get one listener that is so important because that one listener can turn to two can turn to four can turn to eight word of mouth is so important well, be engaged yeah. with your audience um don't ignore them and constantly talk about your show. If you got a Twitter account, Facebook account, Instagram, constantly talk about your show. Get it out there. Um, it's so important. But if somebody engages with you, whether it's an email, a tweet, or anything like that, get back to them as soon as possible because they are your biggest asset. They are friends of the show. They are going to help you grow. 100% word of mouth is, I think, the most underrated pass on method that people seem to overlook if my Colin for example uh, my co-founder if he says to me listen to this podcast I will listen to it so that is 100 that's a 100% strike rate if somebody passes that on <clears throat> whereas I do have my issues with some of the social sharing side of things the constant retweets the constant stuff like that now don't get me wrong you need to engage socially with that side of things it does help but for like almost a guaranteed listen like you says if you get one listener who likes what you're doing they will say to their friends that are into the same things as them i found this why don't you listen to that and the chances of them listening to it are 100 percent well, 95% more than if somebody retweets it, basically. As I, I do have my issues with that, that side of things, but I have spoke about it on, on our podcast. We won't get too deep into that. What other podcasts at the moment do you admire, Eric? Yeah, most of my podcast listening is, is in the soundtrack um, area, and um, I rarely uh, go outside of my comfort zone. So... A couple of shows that I really, really, man, they're doing it so well. One is, is I think it's extremely popular with, with soundtrack aficionados. It's called Art of the Score. Uh, two guys from Australia. Maybe it's three. I've heard other shows that try to do it, and some of it sounds a bit pretentious, or they're talking down to the audience. 
with Art of the Score, I feel like it's three buddies getting together who really know their stuff. One of them is a, is a conductor. He even has his own radio program out in Australia. And they really know their stuff, but they they talk about it in a way that anybody can understand it. So, you know, if you've never seen Conan the Barbarian or you've never heard of Basil Polidorus, after a two-hour episode of listening to them talk about it, you will want to go out and buy it. They are so good. Another one that's a little more niche is dedicated to a single composer who passed away a while ago. Uh, it's dedicated to Jerry Goldsmith. It's called Goldsmith Odyssey. And what these guys are doing, I mean, it's going to take them forever to finish the show because they're breaking down each and every score this man wrote in his entire history. And that's starting from radio into television, into movies. And I think they're only into the 1960s. Right. Okay. So, but, but there are three, four huge Jerry Goldsmith fans but the way that they converse, the way that they edit the program, it's so tight. It's so informative. And every time they have a show, I'm I'm in. And they have great guests. They have an in to a couple of the labels. So every time a new Jerry Goldsmith release comes out, it seems like the next couple of days, they've already talked to the people involved with that album. And they have them on the show. And they talk in great detail about what this new album is going to be. So I absolutely love of, of what they are doing um and a couple more is uh, the legacy of john williams because i'm a huge john williams fan these guys talk to the the performers on john williams scores or orchestrators or people who have worked with them and it's an absolute fantastic uh journey through the career of john williams so those are the three that i really uh grab onto and anytime they release an episode it's like instant listen i have to listen right away no matter what i'm doing yeah everybody's got their their own thing that they they like to listen to Eric a little shout out to measuring the score who I've spoke to recently um and they're though, yeah up. they're new and they're yeah. doing it it's so it's very unique yes um because they live with each other yeah yeah it's it's interesting the dynamic and and again they, they are two who know exactly what they are talking about because they're musicians and composers so yeah. um I, I hope they do very very well yeah, uh, big shout out to them. But moving on, we're getting near the end of the of our conversation, Eric. I feel like I could speak to you all night, but if you could go back in time to one point in your life, talk to your younger self, where would you go and what would you say to yourself? Uh, yeah, I've been thinking about this one. One is, you know, one thought is um, you're healthy. I mean, you might be skinny, but you're healthy. Um, and and keep exercising and don't eat the way that you eat now uh, because you think you can eat everything and not gain a pound. But look at me now, I'm a hundred <laughs> pounds heavier than what you were. <laughs> I catch you up. Yeah. <laughs> but um, honestly, the big thing for me, and I'm, I'm telling my kids this is that even at 17 and 18 and once you're done high school, you don't necessarily what you want to do. You might have an idea, but you don't know what you want to do. And I would say don't jump into university and college right away unless you are 100% sure you know exactly what you want to do. I would say, and this is what my friend did, and even my brother did this, took a couple of years off, worked, and tried to figure it out, and then found their passion and said, yep, I think that's exactly what I want to do. And then they went back to uh, post-secondary and they're both my brother and my friend, very successful doing the things doing that they wanted to do and they're excelling at it. And so while I'm in the industry that I wanted to be in, I mean, of course I wanted to be the big 
I want to be the next Steven Spielberg. I want to make the next big blockbuster. But I think that if I had taken a couple of years off, I would have found a passion for something else, sort of in the same industry. But I, I think that even that, I would say also travel, travel the world, see things, experience life, because soon you're 44, you have two kids, the mortgage, and uh, you're just basically kind of stuck <laughs> until they leave. <laughs> and I love my kids. I love my family. <laughs> yeah. I, and I do love them, but I mean, it's just like, it's like that there's a point where it just kind of like stops and you, you don't want to have any regrets. That's, that's the thing. Don't have any regrets. Enjoy your twenties. Yeah. Enjoy your twenties. That's a, yeah, that's a big thing. Like I can totally get behind that. I left school, went straight to university to do business. Only lasted six months left, got a job, went back to college to do TV and film production, left after three months eventually went back and done this thing called risk management. I'd done four mm. years of that, came out, couldn't find a job there, ended up working in the like support, student support industry in a college where I help people with disabilities, basically. So I've done that for the last eight years, and I do think it got to the stage where I was just plodding along in life, and I got to 35, and I just decided to do this whole podcast thing that we're trying to get involved in just now and it's not work like it's a cliche but it's not work if you really enjoy what you're doing and like I says I've only re recently found that maybe the last the last year or so so yeah good advice Eric yeah um, I agree completely don't you're 17 you're 18 you don't have you don't have a clue like you don't know you don't what. you don't you really don't so you don't i mean i i had an idea that I, I wanted to make movies i wanted to get into into something along those lines i mean i love video cameras i, I love telling stories but it never that uh, never really worked out and the funny thing is i went to college for broadcast journalism i mean i want to be the next big play-by-play -play guy mm -hmm. um but that again it, once i found out that i would have to like do weather somewhere up north in Canada for eight <laughs> years before I can even get a sniff at doing play-by-play. -play. I'm like, I'm done. I can't do the weather. No, thanks. I'm going to go off and do something else. So again, like you, I mean, right now, if I could change what I want to do and go back to school, if I could do it, I would definitely try something else. Yeah, for sure. Is there anybody famous that you would like to interview, get on your podcast? And have you spoke to anybody particularly famous? Yeah, I mean, of course, John Williams would be the one that I would love to have a conversation with, but I would just like to have a a different conversation with him than what I normally see, you know, asking questions that don't normally get asked of him, just to kind of see if I can extract something else out of the almost 90-year-old man and, and who might not have said that before in his career. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be very interesting, but that's next to impossible. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I mean, and I'm not very, I'm not a very good interviewer, which is why I have other people doing it for me. And I'm really happy that they are getting the opportunities to talk to the composers that they, they wanted to. Um, but I, you know, I did have a wonderful interaction for many years with, uh, Michael Giacchino and I got to know him before he became the Academy Award winning composer. Uh, he was still working in video games and I got to go to Seattle multiple times. Um, and I don't live anywhere near Seattle to see recording sessions of his video game music. And I, I also did work for him. I created music videos for those scores. So 
I did music videos for um, the Medal of Honor series, Secret Weapons Over Normandy, and, and Mercenaries. And that all happened just before he became big on The Incredibles. So we used to talk all the time. We used to talk, you know, weekly. He would call me up and say, hey, listen to this cue. What do you think about it? And I'm like, well, really? You you care about what I think about? It was, I think, the, the opening cue to Lost Season 2. He oh, said, I want you to have a listen. Fuck off. Sorry. Goes, oh, yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> That's my- he goes, I want you to have a listen and tell me what you think. And I'm like, <laughs> who cares what Eric Woods has to say? And I mean, it was an amazing cue. And then when I finally saw it in the show, I w- it was I was blown away. So he used to send me cues from Lost before anybody else. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. yeah. And he was, I, I understand he's super busy. I mean, even trying to get an interview with him, I have to go through about three different people to try to do that. But we used to, we used to talk like, like buddies. And, um, and that was, that was, that was pretty fantastic. So I got, I got to see recording sessions, which is one of was one of my biggest dreams. And so, you know, I ticked that one off uh, the bucket list and I can thank uh, Michael Giacchino for that. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Finally, what is your specific favorite episode? If you were to say to a listener that's never heard of cinematic sound radio before, go and listen to this episode as a highlight reel or the best thing that we we have created, Eric. Where would you point somebody to? Yeah, I, I it's interesting how this show instantly hit my brain because it was one that nearly stopped the show dead because I worked so hard on it. And it was at a time where I was just doing these shows weekly and just putting way too much work into it i was writing three four five thousand pages or not pages of words pages <laughs> a show a pages would be crazy but yeah, yeah even that five three to four thousand yeah. words a show is insane mm-hmm. but i did one about john williams's underrated tracks so this was no star wars no indiana jones no jurassic park these are the cues that i kind of wanted you to pay attention to that were from scores like heidi Heartbeeps. Uh, the Missouri breaks. And what I wanted to do was not just play them. I really wanted to dig deep and, and figure out why these cues work so well. So it was a lot of movie watching, a lot of dissection on the, on the score, how it worked. And I really wanted to tell the audience that here's why you should pay attention to it. And it was, it nearly wrecked me. And I was so busy with my other job it just came to the point where I almost had a mental breakdown, <laughs> but I'm super proud of that program. I go back and listen to it and I'm like, man, that was a good bit of radio. And I'm really, really proud of that show. And I still have to do a second part. Um, but uh, yeah, underrated John Williams tracks. I think that uh, anybody that likes John Williams, likes film music might get something good out of that program. I tell you what, Eric, if you send me the link to that, I'll put it in the show description so people sure. can find it, find it easily. Absolutely. Just before we wrap it up, you've been nominated for um, quite the podcast awards. Where can people find you on Twitter, Facebook, etc., and give them a give them a shout out and get the votes in? We've had over two and a half thousand votes so far across the categories, so we're picking up a little bit of steam. And there is literally a couple of votes um, between some of the top three and four in categories. So get on, get onto the page that's, and that's, vote for Cinematic Sound or anybody that you want to. But where can people <laughs> yeah, find absolutely. you? Yeah, absolutely. 
first of all, I just want to thank you for the opportunity for, you know, letting us, you know, be a part of the awards um, because some award shows are, they cost a fortune to get a a part of. So this is what you're doing is just, is great. It's letting everybody uh, get in and let their voice be heard. And, and I like what you're doing. Um, So if you need to, if you want to find cinematic sound radio, we're on Twitter at sin sound radio. We're on Facebook at cinematic sound radio on Instagram, uh, cinematic dash sound dash radio. Um, you can find the show at cinematicsound.net. That's our, our webpage. So you can find everything about the program, you know, how we started all the programming that we have, all of our hosts, and then wherever you find great podcasts, just look for cinematic sound radio and enjoy what we're doing. That was great. Eric, like I mentioned earlier, I think we could have conversated for much longer than the, the half hour that we have done, but thanks for coming on and sharing your journey and inverted commas well thank you for taking the time and having me on i really do appreciate it i i i love these type of shows and i listen to a whole bunch of other other interviews that you did and i think it's just great that you're you're talking to other podcast hosts and 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 you know getting an idea of what they do which can also help other podcasters along the line so what you're doing is is absolutely fantastic and and thanks for for uh letting me be on the program yeah, well, thanks for saying that, Eric. Very kind of you. And listeners, thanks for tuning in. We will, we will speak to you soon. Thanks. At Quite The Thing Media, we aim to bring you the best podcasts produced by independent creators, made without constraints.